this is English literature cramming. Gorgeous. So, <laughs> our first episode, we are talking about why Stevenson created his novel and the inspirations generally behind it. Because we do that a lot with J.B. Priestley's and Inspector Calls, but not so much with Stevenson himself. So one of the things, particularly, that I was looking at was the theme of homosexuality. Because pretty much, they're all gay. In my opinion, they're all gay. Because think about it, right? Stevenson completely separates women from like the main narrative of the tale. Because the only characters I can actually think of that are women are the maid and then that old woman at Hyde's house. And I don't think either of them are particularly portrayed well. But I think it's a bit of his jab at hypocrisy within the male world. Because, sorry, how many times does Jekyll have one of those like really sad dinner parties? Where it's just him and the lads. Because that's, that's a bit tragic. Like, go on a date or something. Like, at their big age, if they were women... They would be questioned left, right and centre as to why they're not married off yet. Because they're well past like the right page. I think they're a bit like close to decomposing at this point. Um, and I think it's one of two things. Either A, they're gay, or B, they, they get absolutely none, like zero play. But yeah, they're rich, so I, I kind of doubt that's a thing. So back onto the maid. The reason she exists is actually because the majority of Stevenson's readers were female at the time. And he knew of this thing called gossip culture, which worked hand-in-hand hand with the honour code, which we'll come to a bit later. But there, there was this idea that a lot of women, all, all women, had this bloodthirsty sort of want to read and indulge in ho horrible events because that was their nature, which, of course, isn't true. And in reality... Everyone was a little bit mentally disturbed in the head because when we talk about 19th century scientific journals, you'll see that a lot of people at that time were buying journals of real-life things that happened, so like murders, crimes, mutilations, just experiments that were going on at the time. And they were all scientific and you know real, real stories, but people would buy them and read them for entertainment. And it was like this sort of thing wasn't too far away it was happening next door it was happening down the street but they would indulge in this as a way of entertainment which is messed up big time but yeah i find it a bit weird that he decided to criticize the people that were paying for his bills because i mean do what you want but don't expect to be getting a lot of money after you've done that one some specific things about the maid is that she's technically like a narrator but it's more like she's a co-narrator because even in her chapter where she's describing the murder of sir danvers crew you've got the overarching narrator who is more omnipresent at all times and is more controlling and straight away he seems to kind of devalue anything that she's seen even though she is a witness because we are told she is romantically given so we know she's kind of a romanticist an idealist and we kind of get told that anything she narrates, we have to take with a pinch of salt, because it might just be dramatised. And if you look back, and if you read those verbs, they are terrible. Like, it's a lot more graphic than anywhere else in the novel. And I think that's just to show the sort of sick delight that she finds in recalling it. But even with the way that the overarching narrator talks about the way the maid remembers it, with tears streaming down her face and the way that she fainted... You can like tell that that's just a, dramat a dramatization, and it's just playing 
on this harmful stereotype that all the women at the time, during when Stevenson was writing his novel, that they were all bloodthirsty and they all loved drama and gossip. Um, the honor code is like very present in Jekyll and Hyde as well because it like an underlying theme to then show the readers that were like reading in the Victorian time how they like subvert that and like contrast that in a sense because the honor code was all about how like social status, social class, so like how involved you were with your social life, so going to like people's dinner parties socialising, talking to people, being respectful, like vic- typical Victorian gentleman things, like being altruistic, being, like putting other people before you, being like selfless, being kind, having a job, having a wife, that kind of thing, was like all very reliant on class, but also the honour code because of your social status, so you could be middle class, lower class, and have a higher social status than someone that was upper class, just because um, you do stuff. You engage with the society around you, yeah. And that's, that's why I think he hates gossip culture so much because it links to that, you know. If you've got, if anyone's watched Bridgerton, what's her name? Lady Whistledown, spreading all the gossip in the newspaper. It could be ruined in literally like two sentences. So yeah, I think that's really important. Yeah, and it sort of like it links back to Hyde because obviously Jekyll had uh, pretty. We well we can like infer that he had like a solid social status because. When Utterson goes to like talk to people about him, there's enough people that have things to say about him. Even if now they aren't good, they like like um, <laughs> Lanyon. Lanyon, that was it. Sorry, I do know his name. Um, Hasty Lanyon, that was it. He's like, oh, I don't like him anymore, but he was my best friend, kind of thing. And obviously, he's good friends with Utterson, and so he had friends, but then obviously he has his lonely dinner parties after Hyde sort yeah. of exists, and so it shows that like. Hyde's pretty much, like, the all, the bad side of all Victorian gentlemen's is Hyde. So everyone has, like, a... Stevenson's saying everyone has, like, a definitive good Split. side and a bad side. Well, yeah, because obviously they couldn't expect everyone to be good all the time. Like, that's kind of... I think that's what Stevenson's trying to say. I mean, we Googled it, and it said that he had this idea after a fever dream. I feel like it definitely was a commentary on what society was at the time, because it was unfair, it was unjust, and nobody met it. I don't think you could find a single person that was actually all the qualities that they expected from you. Everyone was just pretending, and I think he was a bit sick of that. And not to go off topic completely, but I want to talk about homosexuality here. Because I think there's this thing where, with all this misogyny in terms of the maid and the complete, like, explanation of women within the novel, I think that's a way to present the idea that possibly Jekyll is gay. And that's that's his hide. That's what he's hiding. At the beginning, it's, like, sort of inferred that Utton and Enfield have some sort of homosexual relationships. Yeah. Because of the whole, like, they go and walk together on Sunday and they don't go to church and they spend far too much time together to be, like, friendly or normal. Yeah. And then you so, find out they're cousins, and which is like, a bit... And that's, like, right at the beginning. So the whole... It, like, basically sets up the theme of homosexuality for the whole entire novel. That is And that can't be an accident. That has to be purposeful. Yeah. I was thinking about it, and when the novel was written, when it was published was January 1886... The year prior to that, there was a new law introduced into court, and this was kind of coming to court and becoming an actual case where people could be sentenced of having a gross indecency. Like, that was the phrasing, gross indecency. So homosexuality was never truly named, but it was kind of inferred that 
what they actually meant by that was anything that was unholy or went against the Bible. Of course, homosexuality being one of those things, but they didn't specifically have a label for it at that time. Oscar Wilde was one of the one, like one of many authors and many creative people, and just generally of the population in England that faced that sort of persecution. And it was dangerous, especially because a black male was associated with it. Because you didn't need to have a lot of evidence. It was a dangerous law and a dangerous rule because someone could literally put you in court and get you in jail because of a rumour, because of an assumption. Because they did not have like solid proof for someone being homosexual. They only had suspicions. So genuinely, the way you presented yourself in your social class and your social status could be a weapon. And you have to remember that this novel is written from the perspective of Stevenson, not from the perspective of an unbiased narrator. Yes, Stevenson is an omniscient narrator, but also he's going to have his own biases as the author, not as the narrator. So everything that he's saying is said not to benefit of the characters, but also it comes from his own beliefs to an extent because he's writing the book from his perspective to sort of make a statement about societal expectation to like yeah i know what you mean it's like i don't think it's a coincidence that he has he had a lot of gay friends because that sort of the gay agenda (laughs) was going around you know there were underground communities at this time there were actually quite a few raids within this area and i don't think that it is such a big leap to consider the fact that it might be him criticizing this law this thing that was introduced because his friends would have been suffering so he would have heard a lot about it from their perspective and honestly I feel like there's a lot of coding in there which suggests even more to it because Soho was one of those places even now it's kind of like a gay central it's a bit gayer than Brighton which is saying something if you put Hyde in Soho then there is a connotation there and that's even stronger to people at the time who were living in London because that was just what heavily was associated with Soho also crime but also homosexuality and if you think about it for first time readers we've had this trope so much of the Jekyll and Hyde split personality thing but if you were one of his readers for the first time you might be thinking Jekyll and Hyde are in a relationship because you don't know that they're the same person until the very end so this entire time like the blackmailing all that it's like if blackmail was so heavily connected with this law and this book was published only a year after this law was put out then yeah I don't I really don't think it's such a reach to go and say that they're directly connected and that Hyde is a representation of the society's suppression of who they truly were certainly but also homosexuality in particular. Like guys with the theme obviously like a very prominent like the main theme that people always talk about is like duplicity and like the duplicitous nature of humans so it's like almost if you go deeper into that duplicity you reach like the the, the, the deeper themes of what Aaron was saying about like homosexuality because it's almost like obviously as he was saying like it was a very like, hidden thing because you can get put in prison for it whatever whatever blah 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 like that whole Stevenson could have been sort of implying that like all of his gay friends were living their Jekyll and Hyde life because 
they can't present themselves outwardly to be gay because obviously it was an offence. But he like, never explicitly says it because he probably would have gotten some backlash for that one. But knowing now that he had friends that were suffering, etc., and he was a fan of gay people's works, you can come to that conclusion. Even though it was a criminal offence to be gay, and it was definitely looked down upon, I think it was still very widely explored. Because I think the idea that it was unreachable and the idea that it was something that you couldn't do was actually desired by a lot of young men. I think that what Stevenson does with Utterson is when he's talking about the blackmail and when he comes up with this conspiracy that Hyde is Got, has got stuff on Jekyll it's either because of something homosexual he has done or that they are in a relationship together and he can easily out him for that and as I said blackmail was such an important part of this because genuinely some small piece of gossip or some small anecdote could get you into that position and could get you jailed for basically homosexuality so when he says things like capers of his youth and when Utterson talks about what Jekyll has done and kind of hints that like, oh yes, I dabbled in that as a child as well. Like we were all young, we all kind of did it. I think it's directly hinting to homosexuality. I, th I feel like it was quite, not acceptable, but understood for young men to have sexual experiences with other men because they were kept solitude for many women of course, until they were of the right age. And men became of age quite a lot later than women. They were expected to marry later, etc. So I think for those first few years of their life, going through puberty, honestly, just as horny teenagers, I feel like there were things that went down and that was kind of a group experience. But people didn't really talk about it. It was kind of left in, the, in their youth. It was like, yeah, this is something we did when we were younger, but when we become men, when we're expected to marry you have to leave that behind obviously you can't continue that lifestyle so it's seen as like a childish fling likewise with Jekyll being so because obviously Jekyll's described as quite like old him being so old and not having a wife and then also that being hinted in the beginning where Austin says oh we were children where, like the use of like we as a collective sort of further like perpetuates the idea that Jekyll was gay because obviously in Victorian society everyone had wives to have like children even it's if it was so just sus. like a even if it was just like a power thing to just have a wife there because you want to look you have some kind of authority and he didn't have any of that he would say oh like i'm married to science i'm devoted to science but like there were other scientists that had wives like that was not like <laughs> yeah That's... you can't not have a wife because you're a scientist like it all of the other things point towards like the hints of homosexuality within jekyll himself so yeah I feel like a lot of the way that they hint towards homosexuality is through misogyny. And hear me out on this, because I feel like they were linked. And I think it's harmful now in media to see that, to for gay people to be presented as misogynistic in order to be gay. But if you think about it, what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman, they were very, very solidly, especially in such a religious time, what it meant to be a man was to love a woman. What it meant to be a man was to be strong, was to be powerful, and have a wife, to care for your wife. And the wife's, like, the woman's role was to have a husband and care for her husband and children. Like, that was the role. And to detach yourself from that, to sort of present the idea 
of possible homosexuality, that you're gay, that you don't conform, you had to first detach yourself from what it means to be male. And if what it means to be male is to love women and to take care of women, I feel like the reason Stevenson presents so much misogyny is because that's the only way that it could really be interpreted as, oh, they hate women because they love men, you know? They had to, first of all, detach themselves from women to then attach themselves to men to fully come across with the theme of homosexuality. On the topic of, like, religion and stuff, there's the whole debate of, like, religion and science, because obviously we see that all the characters either have, like, specific views, so Lanyon and Jekyll are very, like, a men of science, so they're not, like, particularly religious, but then you get to Utterson and Enfield, and they don't get to church on Sundays, but, like, there's the implication that they still are somewhat Christian, because all Victorian men all Victorian people were meant to be Christian. I'm going to interrupt with the point about Jekyll real quick, which is that he is actually portrayed a little bit as religious, but in a very interesting way, because any sort of time that he is brought up as religious or has any connotations to religion, it's often in a blasphemous sense. Like, when they find his Bible, his religious texts, and they've got blasphemous scribblings all over it. I think that... Honestly, Jekyll's turning to religion was symbolic of a lot of homosexual people's turnings to religion in which they thought it was a way to save them. It was a sort of saving point. It was like, a maybe if I'm religious, it will stop. But obviously, that's not the case. And so I think for a lot of people, they turned to religion just because of fear. In regards to religion versus science, there was a pretty clear divide between scientists and, like, god-fearing people because in science there's like questions are answered with like hard facts but religion questions are answered because there aren't no actual answers to the questions so people then would turn to religion yeah to get the answers there's a difference between i guess what is fact and what is belief and while both were very valid and they could both coexist there was a split especially with stevenson and his own beliefs yeah because stevenson was for the most part an atheist obviously I think all Victorian children grew up Christian as, like, because their parents likely were members of the church. But when he wrote Jekyll and Hyde, he was, like, widely known as an atheist. Yeah, he was often regarded for this because up until this point, religion was used as a fear factor. It was for fear-mongering, and a lot of the time it was used as a threat instead of what it actually means to be a Christian. So a lot of the time people would use the religion up until this point in history to blackmail. It was used to prove your social status, to prove you were an ally to the king, the queen. It was often used by churches to collect money because a lot of people were told that if they didn't donate, then they would be charged for their sins. So there was a lot of link to how organised religion was portrayed in the wider world, completely indifferent to actual belief, which is where I think Jekyll's turning to religion only at certain points when he's turning into Hyde comes from, because it's from a place of fear, not a place of belief and love. Um, and Stephen's atheism also then helps us see like the underlying like utilitarian sort of... Utilitarianism is the belief that like people do things for the greatest good for the greatest number of people. The utilitarian Ari the Trolley problem, this is a bit of a tangent, but Ari the Trolley problem, if there was one person and five people, they'd kill the one person because that's the greater good for the greatest number of people. So, like, for example, in the end, 
Hyde kills himself because he feels that like him killing himself will be more beneficial to the wider group of people than it would to like the small group of people that it wouldn't be beneficial to, which is ultimately just himself and probably Jekyll. On a very morbid note, with the whole Jekyll Hyde suicide bit, is that he's trying to rid the criminal side of him, which he doesn't fully manage to detach from his like Jekyll self, you know, the one that goes out into society, that's respected, that's handsome. He doesn't manage to fully kill himself off, but that also was a rise in cases, again around the time surrounding the 1885 law of gross indecency, where a lot of gay people sadly ended their own lives because they felt like they couldn't really do much else. So with utilitarianism, it sort of links back into like the ethical, philosophical kind of themes within Jekyll and Hyde because utilitarianism is very much like not particular. It's not like controversial, controversial, but like it could potentially become controversial because people have different views on what the greatest good for the greatest number of people is. Like there was someone with a nut allergy, and I gave them nuts because they were a bad person and they killed like four people. That, in my eyes, would be the greatest good for the greatest number of people. But if Aaron was like, no, they killed these people, but like the greatest good for the greatest number of people is to leave him alone because he's the greatest number of people here, in the, like, for example, then like it could This is a really interesting analogy. I'm sorry, Aaron. <laughs> just okay? want to put that out there. I'm sorry. It's Are you telling people with right an allergy to grow up? No comment. I, I, no okay. comment. I endorse this message. Continue. <laughs> um, a little bit paradoxical when it comes to Jacqueline Hyde because they're obviously too they're presented as two different people so assumedly they'd have different views or they do have different views guys remember to link this all back to hypocrisy stevenson hates hypocrisy he hates it between the genders he hates it between religion and science he basically hates all types of hypocrisy and this is one of them always link back to stevenson continue interestingly enough i don't think there is like a fully utilitarian character in jekyll and hyde so for example with utterson some of his actions could be seen as like the greatest good, but he didn't tell anyone about the murders. He sort of kept them to himself. So that was like selfish and a little bit, in a sense, hypocritical because he would go on about how he's a lawyer. Well, the fact that he even is a lawyer, he didn't even go on about it, but just the fact that he's a lawyer and their whole thing is honesty and you can't lie to like a jury and stuff. But then. The fact he's meant to be like a member of the court, right? Like a member of serving law serving justice and all that but he has an improved tolerance for people in quotation marks because for some reason he would rather not sacrifice his friend who could potentially be going around murdering people or has connections to someone murdering people solely through friendship again linking back to hypocrisy because he's being hypocritical at the fact that his whole job is being honest and being true and being real and he's definitely not doing that he's just a fan of gossip culture like anyone else in that time period an example of hypocrisy is the fact that jekyll genuinely thought that he could split himself selfishly like literally for the sole reason of just being selfish so that he could be like the worst version of himself and the best version of himself all at the same time because he literally wanted everything asking for too much yeah exactly he was literally he was begging for trouble let's be real here like, there was no way he could go about that without there being issues, but then, like, it was like he was sort of blinded by... You've got to have one thing or the other. You can't keep your social status, then go murdering Cassandra down the street the next day. Like, you put, you, got, you have to deal with consequences. You can't live without consequences, and you can't split yourself, so you may as well just be yourself and have 
these desires that might not even be that bad. Like, it's just the threat of losing your social status that makes your crimes tenfold worse, etc., and then leads you to trample over a child. Yeah, and also his, like, ignorance towards, like, the situation, how, like, the severity of Hyde, because obviously he knows that he's Hyde, he knows all of this, and then, yeah, he still tells Utterson, like, I can be rid of Hyde whenever I want. Evidently he can't, but he's just ignorant to the fact that he can't, and I think... At that point, he sort of he knows that he can't really because he can't control if and when Hyde sort of appears and exists and like walks around, runs around rampant. So there's like a bit of like I guess it's a blissful ignorance because he doesn't want to believe that he isn't in control. But like we can all tell like dramatic irony in the sense that we all know that it's going to be bad and he's not in control and nothing good is going to come of it. Not only Stevenson is critical of those people that don't want to accept science, because if you link back to Darwin and his theory of the origin of man, a lot of people were in denial about it, even though it was somewhat scientific evidence and a lot of scientists actually agreed with his theory. I guess they didn't dismiss it immediately, but they were reluctant to believe that they could have come from something that they regarded as less than human. They wanted to keep their belief, which made sense, but at the same time, if you're going to be so dismissive of facts that are given to you, a lot of people are going to be criticizing that, especially Stevenson as an atheist, because he wouldn't necessarily understand why people felt so inclined to follow their religion even after something contradicted it. And I feel like he does the same thing with scientists such as Lanyon, because Lanyon is meant to be the head of science, like the personalization of what it meant to be scientific, logical. He he always followed logic, and that was his main director anywhere. But even he has his downfall because he knows too much. And there's a good thing in being a bit ignorant. There's a good balance between belief and what is fact and what is subjective and what is objective, because you can't have one or the other. You have to have an, a good, healthy balance of both. In, again, with the whole, like, Lanyon's blissful, Lanyon's, like, Utterson's asking him about Jekyll, and he says how Jekyll is, like... He uses the words unscientific balderdash, which is basically, like, him saying, like, yeah, me and Jekyll used to be friends, but, like, he's not good enough for me anymore because he's not scientific enough for me. And so it's sort of, like, he knows that Jekyll's sort of up to no good in a sense, but he doesn't want to accept it, and he doesn't want to, like, tell anyone about it. He just sort of hopes that people will infer it. I think that Lanyon is pretentious and a little bit annoying. Don't write that in your essay. Even he is a hypocrite. He is so set on following science and he's so critical of Jekyll for his unscientific balderdash. But when he comes to, when he watches Hyde turn back into Jekyll, which is real, which is happening in front of his eyes, this knowledge literally kills the man. Like it's so shocking that he, like he's dead within a week. That's a bit sad. Like. If you devote your life to science and you think you, like, disown your friend because you want to only believe in what is right, you're just picking and choosing at that point what to believe, what science to believe, and what science you can't believe. Because you've slandered your friend and then it turns out he was right all along and some people are just so in on themselves and believe they're so in the right that the fact that someone else was right was so shocking they dropped dead. Basically, the top five points of this half an hour long podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. Yeah, hope you had fun. Whereas number one, Stevenson's critique of the 1885 law of gross indecency 
and like themes of homosexuality within Jekyll and Hyde. Um, number two is hypocrisy of male culture, so the link between homosexuality and hating women, like the misogyny. Number three was his criticism of gossip culture and how the honour code is like potentially dangerous. And then number four was Stevenson's proposal of an unbiased balance between science and beliefs. That is um, four, not five. But yes, I've just realised that is four, not five. I just can't count, guys. Sorry. I hope this helped with your exam in some way and good luck for whenever your exam is.